I can honestly tell you I have no desire to be a worship leader. Uh, sometimes it would be convenient. I know some pastors that are worship leaders, and uh, I'm sort of envious of them. But uh, I can't even play the radio. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Genesis chapter 35, we'll be looking at verses 5 through 29. Jacob has fled Shechem. After Simeon and Levi, his sons, have slaughtered all the male, adult males in this city. Jacob has a real fear of reprisal from the nearby cities. And Jacob is pulled up roots. He's moving now towards uh, the south, back to Bethel. And there's revival in Jacob's heart and life. And there's revival in Jacob's family. Jacob is telling them to put away their foreign gods. And he's even having his family change their garments. And in that day, and in that culture, uh, changing your clothes meant kind of a change of character. So they're changing their clothes. And Jacob has is, is been told by God to build an altar of worship there in Bethel, an altar that he can sacrifice to God. And we have Jacob and all of his family, his sons, his wife, his herds, they're making their way down to Bethel. It would be similar to an old western cattle drive if we were to see this going on today. But God's way of protecting Jacob is peculiar because this great company of travelers, God has put the fear of Jacob and his family into the hearts of all the surrounding villages and little towns. And this is the way God protects Jacob, is by putting the fear of him into the others. So let's pick up in uh, verse 5 of chapter 35, and we'll read through the remainder of the chapter. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around him, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is Bethel, which is in the land of Cana, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the Tirbith tree, so the name of it was called Alon Bakuth. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came up from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants after you, I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. 
And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrathah, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried there on the way to Ephrathah, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the, that land that Reuben went in and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard about it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah were Reuben Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who, bore, who were born to him in Padan Aram. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac in Mamre, or Kerjoth Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days, and his son Esau and Jacob buried him. A long reading is sometimes difficult. I made it through it without too many stammerings and stutterings. But anyway... Jacob and his family, they pass through these local cities, these towns, these little hamlets, these villages, and the fear that Jacob brings with him protects him as he travels south. Fear and terror will keep a person from attacking you. Fear or re of reprisal keeps the warlords of this area, the rogue nations that we know of today, from attacking their neighbors. And when the United States, as a nation, tells a country, we will attack you for using chemical gases on your people, we leave ourselves in a no-win situation. Our allies are looking to see if we're going to keep our word. Those nations that fear us are watching us to see if we would really attack them. And if our word is true and if our word is real. It's this simple. You can only threaten a child so many times that you're going to spank that child. Then you must spank the child to make your threat real. Moving along. <laughs> sort of my personal opinion on politics, but anyway. We read of Deborah in verse 8. Rebecca's, Jacob's mother's nurse, she dies. Deborah uh, came with Rebecca from Padan Aram, and she was there when uh, Rebecca married Isaac, 
And it's touching how Jacob's entire family mourns and honors this nursemaid, Deborah. Deborah is buried at Alan Bakuth, or the Oak of Weeping. Deborah, she's a servant girl, but she has managed to gain the respect and love of Jacob's dysfunctional family, and it was a dysfunctional family. And all of them speak highly of Deborah, this servant girl. Verse 9, we have God again appearing to Jacob, and God once again announces his blessings upon Jacob. God repeats this blessing and reminds Jacob that he has changed his name to Israel or governed by God. Now, Jacob, a rough translation of the name Jacob is a a, a sneaky thief or deceiver. So it was a good name change for Jacob. Uh, And Jacob, he doesn't become Israel in a moment. Jacob, like many of us, is a long, patient work of God. You know, God in his kindness is patient with you and I. That's one of the great things I appreciate about God in my own life is his patience with me. I would have quit on me years ago, but God is faithful, he is patient, he is loving. As we progress through Scripture, when God is pleased with the Jewish nation, he calls them Israel. When he is not so pleased with the Jewish people, they are sons of Jacob. Same group, different name on them. As a child in our household, when my mother called you by your full name, you were in trouble. If I heard Howard Don Hawkins come here, nobody had to tell me I was in trouble. My full name had been used. And that's sort of the way it is with Jacob and Israel. God's pleased with him, he's Israel. When God's not so pleased, he's Jacob. In verse 11 and 12, Jacob is told to be fruitful and multiply. And that's a a command that God still gives to us as his people. And then he says, nations and kings shall come from your body, Jacob. The land that I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. God, who created the heavens and the earth, is reaffirming that the land of Canaan, present-day Israel, he has given to Israel. And by the way, God has not changed his mind. There's nothing to indicate that God rescinded his promise to them. The land in which Israel dwells is not up for negotiation. Not in the eyes of God, anyway. Land for peace should never be on the table of negotiations between Israel and her enemies. Yet the entire world 
is more than willing to give Israel's land away. It seems to upset the world when Israel will build new communities or settlements on their own land. We see God blessing Israel or Jacob when he's obedient. And we will come back to that as, uh, as I go through the sermon here. But for right now, then we have God departing and he goes up from Jacob. And Jacob marks this place where he's met with God with a pillar or a stone or a memorial marker. And Jacob pours oil and wine on this stone as a drink offering unto God. And Jacob calls this memorial place Bethel. On their trip south, on their trip out of uh, the northern part of uh, Israel there in Shechem, Rachel, Jacob's wife, she travails in childbirth. She's having what they call hard labor. In fact, her labor is so difficult that she dies in childbirth. But she manages to name her son Benoni before she dies. And Benoni means son of my sorrows. That indicates to me that Rachel is repenting of perhaps of the way she has treated her own sister Leah. She's remorseful. And the way she says that she's remorseful, she says, these sons that I have wanted, they're sons of sorrow because of my own selfish attitude. Jacob, he's not too happy with the name Ben-Onai, son of sorrow, so he calls the boy Benjamin. Benjamin means son of my right hand. Quite a difference in the name there. And if you ever want to look up some of these uh, references to right hand, I'll give you a few references. Exodus 15, 6, where it speaks of the right hand being the hand of power. Psalm 63, 8 speaks of the right hand being protection. Psalm 138, 7 speaks of the right hand of salvation. Psalm 16, 8 speaks of God's steadfastness through his right hand. And then in Colossians, New Testament 3, 1, there's a reference to Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father in authority. And <clears throat> these are good references, and I like what Jacob calls his son Benjamin, son of my right hand. Then we move along, and there's times when you and I, and times when Jacob, and times when Rachel, even prophesied without really realizing it. When Rachel stole her dad Laban's, when she stole his idols, Laban is angry, and he comes looking for his idols among Jacob and his wives. Jacob He's upset that Laban would think that uh, he stole these idols. And in Genesis 31, 32, Jacob says, With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. 
Rachel happened to be the one that stole those idols. In Genesis chapter 30, verse 1, when Rachel sees that she is barren and has no children, she goes to Jacob and she declares something I think is a prophetic utterance. And she says, give me children or else I die. How peculiar and in really in sort of a profound way, Rachel now dies in childbirth. So she is kind of prophesying about herself there. Jacob, he buries Rachel in what is modern-day Bethlehem. But now let's drop down to verse 22. Time has gone by. Reuben... Uh, now goes into his father's concubine and he has sexual relations with her. A thing that ought never to be, of course. And this does not escape Jacob's attention. Simeon and Levi and now Reuben, the first three sons of Jacob, they've disqualified themselves from Abraham's blessings. There aren't many what we call carte blanche promises in Scripture. There are a few. But this is, uh, in a normal way of speaking, God gives us a promise. He gives us uh, what he wants to do for us. And then he requires obedience on our part for us to receive that blessing. Most promises require an obedience on our part, a re- obedience in behavior to receive God's blessings. The blessing that Messiah would have brought through the lineage of the first three sons is now departed. Simeon, Levi, and Reuben have disqualified themselves from God's blessing. Judah, the fourth son, of Jacob has the great blessing and honor of Messiah coming through his lineage. Now that doesn't necessarily mean a lot to us in our world today, but as you grow older, like so, (laughs) you see your children grow up and they have children. And then you begin to see the effect of your grandchildren and nothing pleases a grandparent more than to see their grandchildren walking as little Christians. And I'm blessed to have that. And it is a tremendous blessing to me. It makes me feel like my life has meant something good to someone anyway. Uh, Judah has that great blessing of Messiah coming through his lineage. But we have Isaac. He's 180 years old, he's full of years, and he dies. Jacob and Esau, they bury their father, and it appears that there's no harsh feelings uh, by Isaac towards Jacob for stealing the birthright and all that thing. I think Isaac fully understood that Jacob was to receive the birthright and that it was him that was in heir by withholding it. But now Jacob, who is called Israel, 
God now again reaffirms his blessings to him. God in his kindness to Israel, he says, I am not through with you. And when you grow old, those are good words to hear. Jacob is an old man by the time uh, that his father Isaac dies. And God still has plans for Jacob. He has things that he wants Jacob to accomplish. Jacob's obedience has brought peace to his life. He's now called Israel. But it hasn't brought leisure. He, he does not now retire. He doesn't have the rocking chair thing. When you look through scripture, I don't see of any retirement plans for us as believers. When God is through with us, through one of his servants, he takes us home to be with him. All right, you're done. Take you home. And that's a good thing. And as we age and as we grow old, I feel there are some questions we should ask ourselves. Even though you grow old, you should say, what about my future? What do you have for me, God? Do I want a recliner? Popcorn and Pepsi, you know, the whole thing. Do I want a life of ease? Or do I want some of the goals that they advertise on TV through these different investment companies that promote their ideas of what a retiree should be doing? How many of you want to own a vineyard in the Napa Valley? They show that. How many people want? Come on. Anyway. The latest advertisement I heard, and I sort of like this one, is retirement is getting paid to do what you love. Amen. I like that. I am very pleased and happy to be a pastor. I can honestly tell you that. But am I willing to forego a life of selfish indulgence to live a life of service to my God and to my fellow man? God requires that. We have all observed people that grow old and grow bitter. A Christian should not be a person looking back upon their life and come to a conclusion, I have been robbed. We are not to grow old and bitter thinking that life has been hard and difficult but rather through obedience to God, we are privileged to say, God has allowed me to live a life of meaning. Chuck Smith, founder of Calvary Chapel, he's, he's 85 or 86 years old. He still does three Sunday morning services in Costa Mesa. And he's not in the best of health either. But his life has purpose. Chuck is finishing strong. And it's one of the things that make me admire, admire him as a man of God. None of us have the privilege of choosing how we end our days. 
that's in God's hands. But let me make my point, so turn over to Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, we have Mary and Joseph with the newborn baby Jesus. Uh, Jesus has been circumcised according to the law. They have brought Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice for him. And they offer two turtle doves. Two turtle doves, instead of a lamb, was a poor man's sacrifice. So they're offering a sacrifice of the poor. So Luke 2, verse 25, and we'll go through 28. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said. Before we read what he said, Simeon is an old man. But notice he has the Holy Spirit upon him. He still has use. He still has a purpose. And God has told Simeon that before he dies, he will see the Lord's Christ. He will see Messiah. Simeon comes to temple right as Jesus is being dedicated to God. Now, the temple was not a small little church like this. It covered uh, the courtyard and everything covered several acres. The temple was a big area. It was the hub, the center of the Jewish culture. And Simeon comes in and Jesus is being dedicated to God. And Simeon sees this. Now let's read Simeon's words in verse 29 through 33. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken. Simeon this old man can now depart from life in peace, a happy and fulfilled man, for he has seen, he has held the Messiah in his arms. Jesus, the light to the Gentiles, the glory of God's people, Israel. And that's a touching little story. But it's not over. Next we have Anna. <laughs> Anna is also there at Temple, and she's at the ripe old age of 84. And so let's read verse 36 through 38. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and she lived uh, with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayer night and day and coming in that instant she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him to all who look for redemption in 
Jerusalem. Anna, 84, still serving God, and she's serving God with fasting and prayer night and day in the temple. One of the things I think that we say without realizing it minimizes prayer. We will say things, well, all I can do is pray. All you can do? That's probably the most you can do is pray. Not, it's not all you can do. It's the most. We live in a society where there's great medical care and, and we have good doctors and so forth and we receive good medical attention and so we sometimes don't even bother to pray about God's healing for a sickness or a disease. We go to the doctor instead. Now, I, I go to the doctor too. I'm not saying I don't. But... I also try to pray about what God's doing in my life and pray that he will heal and touch my body. And she is serving the Lord by doing that very thing that sometimes we look upon as a last resort with fastings and prayer. She also happens to enter the temple area, the very place where Jesus is being presented to God and she openly gives thanks to God for allowing her to see Messiah. Verse 38, And she proclaims Jesus to all who are looking for redemption in Jerusalem. She, she declares, Are you looking for the Messiah? Are you looking for the Christ? Here he is. What a great thing to be able to to declare. Now Anna too can depart in peace for she has seen God's salvation. So what do we see in these two older people that are about to die? They're at peace. Their lives are fulfilled. They can depart in peace, it says, for they have seen Messiah. Now, I don't think any of us have seen the Lord. <laughs> Some people may have had a vision of him. Paul had a vision of, of the Lord. But I've never seen the Lord in a vision or anything like that. But we're told, blessed are those who believe without seeing. You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't believe. We are an assembly of believers we have, in essence, seen the Lord. We've experienced the Lord. He is in our lives. And people around us can see that if they look closely. So we, too, should be quick to proclaim Jesus to the world that is around us. Let us be proclaiming Jesus to anybody that will listen to us. Jesus, he's given your life meaning, he's given my life meaning, and we are to share that great truth. Share it with a friend or a neighbor that's perhaps hurting. Share it with someone whose troubles are great. Share it with anyone who will listen to you. I think we're called to do that. And if you're hurting here this morning, 
get prayer before you leave. We have a little prayer area back here. There'll be people that will be glad to agree with you in prayer. But don't leave here hurting when there's people that are willing to pray with you. And if you will stand, we will close in prayer. We are blessed. We have purpose. Father God, I thank you for not only giving my life meaning, but giving all of your people lives of meaning. You give us a purpose. You give us a cause. And the whole world seems to be searching for that, Lord, and we have the truth. We have you, Jesus. Thank you so much for stepping into our lives and making yourself real and known to us. Thank you for the truth of your word that we can look at and study. We don't have to question what life is all about. You have told us plainly and clearly that we're here for you and for your glorification. We're here to serve and love our fellow man. And so, Lord, we thank you that we do have purpose and cause. We're not just wandering, Lord, but you have brought us to a place in life where we can appreciate you. We thank you for that great work of your spirit in our lives. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.